If you were here last week, you realize I've got a lot more room to move now. Um, I feel like I could just... Sorry. I don't normally do that. That took a lot out of me, so... Hey, good morning. Hey, what are some of the things that you need in life? So think about this. What do you need in life, right? Pretty obvious ones, oxygen. You need oxygen, right? You need water, food. These are important, critical to life. You've got to have them to survive. But what else do you need? Clothes. I would argue clothes. And I'm glad none of us in here are naked. That would be, we need clothes, right? We need shelter. That's something that's a necessity, it feels like, in life. And the thing about those two, clothes and shelter, is... The quality of those can be different depending on the person and your stage in life and what you need, right? So what about your mental status? Mentally, what do you need in your mental status? Well, is it love, respect? Is it education? Listen, while these are important things and they play into our mental status, I think our biggest need is to determine who we are. Who am I? Because if all those other things... If we know who we are, all those other things can work far more effectively. Now, my name is Chris Emmons. I'm the Ross Campus Pastor here. If this is your first Sunday with us, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you who are watching this morning online, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're watching. Now, if you were to Google my name, Chris Emmons, I, I did this years back. But if you were to Google my name right now, what do you think you'd find? Well, you'd find my White Oak profile. That's the very first thing that comes up. I mean, you'd find that first. That would pop up right at the front. But years ago, this is what you would find if you Googled my name. This guy, that's not me, okay? His name is Chris Emmons. He has the same name as me, right? He is a guitarist for a heavy metal band called The Agony Scene. Yeah, um, actually kind of looks like our student minister, Andy. Um, like, he's got my name, Andy's looks. You guys don't realize that I'm tattoo covered here, all this. I, that's, I don't do my arms, so you don't know. Um, that, if you were to look that up based upon my name and you thought that was me, that would be mistaken identity. That's not me. So what is identity? What do we say when we talk about identity? I think it's defined, right, as knowing who you are. Just now I told you who I am. I told you my name, right? I also told you what I do. I'm the Ross Campus Pastor. Oftentimes our jobs, our careers, those are things that define us, right? They define us when we give people our titles and we introduce ourselves. These are things we use. Here's a few more that you might use when you're defining who you are. Are you a student, right? So where do you go to school? Maybe that plays into your identity. What kind of degree, if you're in college, what kind of degree are you studying to get, right? What clubs and fraternities and organizations are you a part of? Do you play a sport, maybe? Are you an athlete? Maybe you're a parent, right? You define yourself as a mom or a dad. That defines who you are at home, for sure, but it also defines who you are everywhere else. Our race, right, or our culture, those things can define who we are. We're white or we're black or we're Hispanic or we're Asian. These racial and cultural backgrounds are the basis for much of our identity in this world. Maybe you define yourself by what you do for fun. Do you play golf, maybe, or you knit, or you read, or you collect things, or you go out and, and party and, and have a lot of fun and 
many people define themselves based upon the things that take, take over their schedule. Maybe your sexuality defines you. Maybe you're gay or straight or lesbian or bisexual or asexual, right? Our personal choices on how we decide to express ourselves sexually can define who we are as a person. Maybe your faith defines you. Maybe you're a Christian, right? Or maybe you're not a non-Christian. Maybe your lack of faith defines you, right? But if you do have faith, maybe it's the, the way you were raised as Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or Pentecostal or Presbyterian, and there are just thousands of these, right? These can define you. These are the things that people use to define themselves. So why do we use these things? Why is it that we let these define us? Well, because we see these as things that give us value. They help us have a purpose. They help us know what we're here to do. Either out of our personal desire to be loved, right? To be special, to feel something. These are things that make us feel value. Or it could be out of a sense of morality, what we think is right and wrong. And here's the reality. We see these things, all of these things I talked about, as our truth, right? That's what we say. It's our truth. And so we feel a need and an urge to prove ourselves. We have to say, listen, I'm right. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm being fair. I, I know the right and wrong here. And we also say, because this is my truth, no one else can go against it. No one else can question that. These things tell us who we are. And as a result, right, they tell us what we see as valuable. Who we might interact with how we spend our time. We believe we'll be able to make these decisions, right, about our identity ourselves, that we get to choose our identity. That's what we're told. Culture will tell you that you can believe this saying, I determine who I am. That's what culture will say. I determine who I am. We get to set the narrative for our lives. We get to choose who we are and what other people can believe about us. But see, this is not what Scripture teaches us. Today, we want to start this series by teaching, or maybe you know this already, reminding you that God determines who you are. Your identity, my identity, they are defined and determined by God himself. That's why we decided to do this series Throughout 2022, we've been focusing on the sovereignty of God. And sovereignty is just meaning that God is in complete control. He has control over everything. That God is over all the earth. That he stands above us and that he sees what we can't see. He knows the path that we can't find. He has a plan that we don't understand all the time. And so he has supreme authority, right? That's what sovereignty is about. Supreme authority to lead our lives. We taught this idea this year because we want everyone to know that God has a plan, a better plan, and that he has your best interest in mind. And so if that is true, then he and only he best determines who you are. 
Now, I want to share with you a passage from the book of Psalms. And Psalms were written by David, the King David, who was a pretty famous king in the Old Testament part of the Bible, okay? And he was a king who found God's favor. But he was also a pretty famous sinner who messed up regularly. And so in Psalm 139, David puts this so eloquently. I love this passage. He says this. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God made us, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves. We get confused about who we are. Culture, our friends, our family, our mistakes, right? Our successes, even other Christians give us these ideas of who we think we should be. And they're well-intended. And we get confused because we can't seem to reconcile, right, all of these definitions of ourselves that we have. And sometimes the list is super long, right? And we can't reconcile them into one cohesive person. I'm a dad, right? But I'm also a person who exists outside of my kids. Maybe you would say to yourself, listen, I'm an athlete, right? But I'm also an artist. Maybe you say, I'm the CEO of a company, but I'm also a mom. Maybe you say, oh, I'm gay, but I'm also a believer in Jesus. Maybe you say, I'm an addict, but I'm also a wife or a father. Right? These are real things that we struggle with because these are definitions we have of ourselves. And sometimes these definitions are in conflict with one another. Yet our God, from the very beginning, right, David puts it, he knows us intimately. Imagine it, he wove us together. Imagine what a creator knows about their creation. They know everything. And so he has a definition of who we are. And this definition isn't changing based upon your situation. I mean, he might look at you and say, listen, hey, father, dad, right? You're my son. Athlete, you're my child. Hey, you CEO of a company, you're my daughter. Hey, you are my child. You addict, you're my daughter. And here's the amazing thing about this. In all these situations, I did it because I was trying to make a point, but here's the reality. He doesn't start by using the identity we've given. We've been given by other people or we've given ourselves. He doesn't start that way. He just says, hey, you. And it's Chris if he's talking to me, right? He says, you, you are my son. You are my daughter. God doesn't give credence to these titles that we've given to ourselves. We are his creation. We don't have to earn his love. God determines who you are. We need to be reminded of that, that God knit us together, right? He made us. He knows us so well. When did we forget that? Honestly, we are all guilty of letting this happen. We're all guilty of it, but we don't own that original mistake of forgetting our God-given identity. We're not the ones that own that. That goes way back to the beginning of Scripture. 
So if you got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to pull them out. We're going to go very beginning to Genesis, right? We're going to be right in the first part of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So basically, turn the front of your Bible, go past the table of contents, and there's Genesis, all right? You might have some other stuff in there, depending on how big your Bible is. If it's a study Bible, you've got to go 15 pages or so in, all right? But Genesis is right at the beginning. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis, right at the beginning of it, we get to read about God creating the heavens and the earth. He puts everything into place, right? He creates man and woman. He puts them into the garden where it says he spends each day walking together and talking with them. Now, can you imagine this? At one point in, in our history, right, the very beginning, God actually walked and talked with Adam and Eve, They had physical and personal relationship with God, with the person, the the creator of everything. And they could ask him any question. They could discuss any topic. That would be really cool. My first question would be, God, why'd you make cockroaches? (laughs) That doesn't seem to... God, what's up with poison ivy? That's dumb, right? Come on now. I think poison ivy was brought on because of sin, that's fine. Um, so it, but back to the point, God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed, right? And he had given them an identity as his son and daughter. They were his children. And it says everything he created, when we read Genesis, it talks about how pleased God was with what he created, And he only asked them one thing. He only asked them not to eat the fruit from one tree, and it says they would die. Now, it's not a quick physical death like what you would expect if you eat something that's poisonous. God knew that if they ate that, it meant death would enter into the world. But then along came Satan, who comes to Eve in the garden and tells her to eat from the tree. He persuades Eve to eat. Let's look at what it says here in verse 4. This is, this is Satan talking. He says, you will, cert, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, Satan had already chosen to go against God, right? Scripture says that Satan was an angel who chose to rebel against God. He was a created being, right? God created him, and he had given him an identity as an angel who said, I think I get to define who I am. I think I can be like God. And he rebelled, and he gets thrown out of heaven. And he knows he isn't God, right? But he believes that he can ruin God's plan. What's that old saying? Misery loves company, right? So Satan goes to Adam and Eve, and he, tries, he convinces them of the oldest and most vicious lie in the history of the world. You are not who God says you are. That's what he tells them. And we are still, to this day, giving into that lie. We are convinced that we know better than God Listen, I know that's hard to hear because you might catch yourself thinking, well, I don't think I know better than God, right? I do it. I say that. Oh, no, I don't know better than God. And we don't say that outwardly, but 
when we put our hope and trust into the identities defined by this world, by our own desires, by our own need to be right, to be righteous, then we are acting as though we know better than God. Remember, God determines who you are. God determines who you are. Satan convinced Eve that if she ate of that fruit, she would be just like God, it says. Even though God had assured her and Adam who they were to him, Satan convinced them that this wasn't enough. No, you can have more, right? You can be better. You don't have to limit yourself to what God says about you. You're so much more. He even convinces them that if they do this, then they will know good and evil better. Now, I might have been slipped past you when you read this before, but pay close attention. One of the selling points that Satan makes for eating the fruit is to know good and evil. Satan literally convinced them to up their moral compass. Isn't that strange? It's strange to me. I mean, normally when we think of Satan, is this evil being, right? This like red guy with a pitchfork tail or whatever he does, right? And we think of him doing all these sinful things like lying and stealing and killing and cheating and all this crazy stuff, right? Possessing people, all that stuff. The very first sin he pushes is based on this idea, you can be morally better. This is the idea that our faith and our ability to be righteous, right? We use that phrase righteous, will make us better. To follow the rules better will make you better. Listen, this is an identity lie. We hear these, these things, these other these things that like other personal desires that people have to identify themselves, right? That I listed out, like all those things. And if you catch yourself thinking or saying, yeah, see, you're messing it up. This is you. You've given into this lie. Your righteousness has become part of your mistaken identity. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was a follower of Jesus. He wrote about this in the New Testament in the book, a letter he wrote to the Romans, right? There's a letter he, he sent to the Roman church, and they were struggling with their identity. They were confused about who they were. They were being told all these things about laws and righteousness and follow that and do this. But they also had the Roman culture telling them, live the way you used to live, right? They were confused. And so they weren't relying on God's definition of them. And look at what Paul wrote to them in chapter 10. He said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's saying they wanted to create their own righteousness within themselves. They wanted to be righteous. This is what happens in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve decided to base their identity on their own righteousness, and it says after as soon as they ate the fruit, immediately they realized they were naked. They knew that they made a mistake, right? God shows up in the garden a little later, and he finds them hiding. Why? Because they were ashamed. They knew they had messed up. 
That's what self-righteousness, right? Self-righteousness and this need to define our, our, our identity ourselves creates in our lives. It creates shame. It creates a sense of unfulfilled desires, a need for more and more of everything, the need to be more right, to prove yourself. More love, more money, more sex, respect, stuff. Why do we need more? Because we have defined ourselves on the things of this world. If you've defined yourself as a student, we have to get better grades and more accolades to be feeling like we're successful. If you're an athlete, then the points or runs or touchdowns or goals or shots or performance, those are what make you a winner. If you define yourself by your race, right, and your culture, then this innate desire you have is going to want to be around more people like you. If we define ourselves by our sexuality, then connecting with others physically in the way we want to is critical to feeling valued and loved. If we define ourselves as parents, right, then the ways that our kids grow up will help give us credibility and make us feel successful. And if we're defined by our faith, then our ability to follow all the rules that we've been given and to be better than the next person, the person next to you, right, that will measure the level of our success. That's our self-righteousness coming through. We think our way is better, and yet we are feeling hurt and lost and unfulfilled and broken in so many places. That's what the result of a life lived by chosen identity, by identity given by our friends and our family, by enemies, right? By our culture. These people in these places, they will want to help you they won't want to help you self-define yourself. Instead, I'm telling you, it is identity lost. Remember, though, God determines who you are. See, Genesis, it starts pretty quickly, three chapters in, with identity lost. They lost their identity pretty quick. But we fast forward thousands of years later to the book of Luke, in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, really, the beginning of the story of Jesus' life, <coughs> that's what Luke is, and we get to find identity found. And we get to see this story in, in, in Luke chapter 3 of Jesus' baptism. And Jesus comes and he decides to commit to an act of obedience to his father, to lean into the identity that his father had for him. And look what it says in Luke chapter 3, at his baptism. We're in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now remember at the beginning of the Bible, right in Genesis, God saw his creation and it says what? Every time he was pleased with what he made. The same is true here. He looks down on Jesus and his identity as his son is confirmed upon him. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in Jesus. 
Now, you know what God didn't say. God didn't say, you are the Messiah, you are the king, you are the chosen one. He didn't say any of that to Jesus. He simply said, you are my son. This was enough. It is enough to simply be God's children. That's what the love of God does for each of us, yeah. See, the only one who was worthy, Jesus, right, who was worthy of being pleased, of pleasing God, right, the only one that was worthy of that chose to take the punishment we deserve so that we could also be part of God's family. He chose to sacrifice himself so we could be part of that family, so that we could hear the same words from God. Because look, Paul, that passage in Romans I just read to you a minute ago, it ends like this. This is what Paul says. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's clear. Paul is making it clear. Righteousness doesn't save you. Jesus does. Identity is not established out of righteousness. It's established out of love. God reminds Jesus of this at his baptism. It's not established out of morality or personal desire. If it's out of morality, right, what's right and wrong, or self-interest, what I feel, what I want to define me, then you're not going to experience real love, and you're not going to be able to be loving. But when it's based upon who God says you are, then it's based upon the love that Jesus has for each of us. The love that frees us from these lies that Satan tells us that we need to have our own identity, right? That love that helps us not search for acceptance in the things of this world, the things that the world will say are worthy and true, the love that has led to each of us being saved from our desire to be righteous and follow the rules. Righteousness is really just anything we can do in order to feel accepted or to be acceptable in the eyes of other people. See, all other forms of righteousness away from God's will leave us feeling guilty, right? Like we're not doing it right, I'm messing up. Or we're going to be anxious, like I don't have enough, I need more. It will leave us unfulfilled. We just kind of keep looking for more and more things to make us feel good. See, Jesus has given us a new life. He's given us a new birth into his righteousness. The only righteousness, right, which exists where we receive, we do not earn, right? We receive love and the one that will bring us peace. You're not going to have peace without Jesus' righteousness. And you won't receive that righteousness until you know from where your identity comes. Now, in another letter Paul wrote, and he wrote this to a lot of broken people, okay? So in Ephesians, he wrote a book, a letter to them too. And they were broken and looking for their identity just like the Roman church was. He said this, he said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the righteousness of God which says we are trusting in the identity we have as sons or daughters of the king. 
Through the rest of this series, we want you to know that you can trust in what is true, what God says about you, that's true. Your mistakes and your decisions to base yourself on this world are not standing in the way. This series is about you mattering to God despite the sin in your life. Because the reality is we all have broken identities. We have all, at some point, and even now, defined who we are by something other than the promise God made to us. And some of our broken identities are more obvious. We live them out in a more public and a more culturally acceptable way. And some of them can be hidden away and are not so clear to everyone around us. So you've got to ask yourself this question today. And so it'll help you through this series to understand what kind of broken am I? What kind of righteousness or acceptance am I seeking from this world? Because your righteousness, here's a, here's a crazy thought, not your sin, your righteousness is like filthy rags in the eyes of God. These things you've attempted to do right and to follow these rules and to, and to make yourself feel acceptable and accepted and, and, and define yourself, that's what God detests. The gospel of Jesus, the story of his life, the love, the sacrifice he made, that is the only answer. We need to look at these things that we've counted as righteous, right, and acceptable, and we need to count them as garbage. Stop trying to steal self-acceptance from other things, right? Stop trying to let the world say what is good and acceptable be your gauge. Go and, and warm yourself by the fire of Jesus' righteousness and God's acceptance. If you haven't done so, let Jesus into your life. Choose to make that decision, right? Accept this gift. He wants you to live a new life. A life where he only says, the only most important thing you think about yourself is, I am a son or daughter of God. God determines who you are. And we talked about Jesus' baptism earlier, right? And maybe you've accepted Jesus into your life. You believe in him. You believe that he, he saved you, and, he, and that's the thing. And you, but you've never taken the step of obedience to choose to be baptized, or maybe you were too young to know. Maybe you were baptized as, as, a, as a baby or, or young. You didn't know what you were doing. Maybe that was the identity that your parents gave to you. Right? They, they bestowed that, that identity upon you. And I'm not saying that those are bad or unworthy. I'm not standing up here claiming to know God's knowledge and what he accepts and doesn't accept. Right? All I know is that we're called as children of God to be obedient to his request, just like Jesus did, to be obedient to what he's called us to do, that act of baptism. Take that step. Choose to make that decision. We'll be celebrating those. We mentioned it earlier next Sunday. And so if you're ready to take that, if you're ready to accept Jesus' identity for you, or you're ready to be baptized, come talk to me after service. I'd love to talk to you about what's next for you. Whichever place you are in and going forward, if you're ready to live this life with your identity not being your own, but being placed in the hands of God, then I want you to do something every day from here on out. 
I want you to wake up with the same mentality every day. I want you to continually remind yourself of what God said to Jesus when he was baptized because he's saying it to you every day. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. With you, I am well pleased. That's all you need. You don't need anything else this world offers. Say that to yourself over and over. Remind yourself of that and lean into that identity that God's given you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we just are so grateful for what you've done for us, for the identity you bestowed upon us as sons or daughters. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for not letting that be the only thing that defines us, Lord. We are weak. We've let the world, we've let our own desires, we've let our need to be accepted, to fit in. We've let those drive our identities, Lord. And we know that all you want us to know and lean into is what you see us as. Give us the strength to remember that each day, to not be pulled away by the the whispers of the enemy but to be drawn in by the embrace of you, Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.